So, King, you're telling me there is absolutely no way this episode title could possibly be misconstrued. No, no, no way at all. Everyone's going to understand it completely. See, all you're saying is it's totally just a play on the capital city of Istanbul, right? Yeah, the, the city that is no longer named Constantinople. Right. I don't see how this could possibly go wrong or be taken out of context in any way whatsoever. Yeah, everyone's going to be able to see that it's Istanbul. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see how anybody could get that confused. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. <laughs> I'd just like to direct any and all queries about our episode title to at Ryan Eric King on Twitter. His 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 username is on the screen right now. This one was on him. <laughs> Welcome to episode 327 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friend and name and host Straight Harrison, and welcome back to another episode. And, oh man, this was a this was a very strange Turkish Grand Prix. Um I guess it's, it's the next chapter of last year's, which was also kind of strange, but this one was a, a moist race? A, a damp race, <laughs> I guess you could say? Soggy. Um, it, so, soggy, like, mm. if you if you have a stack of pancakes and you put the syrup on them, and then you have to walk away for something and you come back and they've turned into just a, a paste. It's like it's like if you have an old pair of shoes and you're walking around the rain, and then like that rain wetness just seeps through your shoes and makes your socks all wet and it's fucking uncomfortable and you can't stand it. Yeah, that's what this yeah. race was like. Yeah, yeah. The ra- yeah. this race on the intermediate tires, the intermediate tires were the equivalent of wet socks. And no one likes wet socks. It's like it's like it's like putting that rubbish bin in the bag, and it's just like you you think the floor's dry, and it's not. It's it's the worst. It's like getting that Welcome garbage the- juice on your hands when you're trying to take out the trash. Oh, <laughs> been there, been there. It's a bad one. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's a bad one. And yeah, this was a peculiar Turkish Grand Prix in Istanbul, to say the least. But it did give us. A Valtteri Bottas win, everybody! Yeah! It's Terry Bottas season! Woo! <laughs> Terry Bottas, uh, for, for once in his career, looking looking like he deserves that 10 out of 10 he was given so long ago. I give it a 12 out of 10. <laughs> I give it a 14 out of 10. It was a, it was, it was truly a work of art. We'll talk about Valtteri Bottas, his arguably greatest win over the next 45 minutes or so, in a, in a Turkish Grand Prix that very quickly became the Hamilton show, in a sense. But uh, we'll get into the reasons why later. It's going to be a fascinating one to talk about that as well. But let's go around the horn quickly, first of all. First up, RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. <sighs> Evening. Happy to be back, as always, on this uh, podcast that has always had lovely things to say about Valtteri Botas. You go through the archives, it's true. We have always been a Valtteri Botas positive podcast. Yeah, yeah, we've never had a bad word to say about him or his future employment ever. Whatever you do, do not go back to High Tide and talk about how excited we were about George Russell replacing him. We didn't do that, it was a ruse. We were going for a double bluff. We're still secretly hoping he stays, honest. Anyway, King, how you doing? (laughs) Don't know about you, 
but I'm not Toto Wolf. I'm not the person out here saying, oh, I wish he, like, he totally deserved to stay. No, no, no. I'm not that person. <laughs> no, no. This is the man who, just, who said after Sakir last year, we could only make a decision based on what we knew regarding his future employment. <laughs> I am, I, my memory is not short. That was less than a year ago. It's like, yeah, it's like, I have the memory of not a goldfish. Yeah, it's like, oh, honey, we've been new. No, oh, honey, we synced it. (laughs) (laughs) As you do. (laughs) And finally, down the bottom, Cam Buckley. Hello, sir. How's it going? Uh, Pretty good. You know, I can't, uh, I can't agree with my colleagues here. Um, I am more than willing at any minute and any day to slander Valtteri. You're not going into the bit. This was part (laughs) of the the bit. The bit means nothing. (laughs) <laughs> the bits don't mean anything. When your when your game console is eight bit with sixteen bit graphics, it's not sixteen bit. You Turbo no. Graphics sixteen player. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I uh, I w- I spent the weekend in Boston with some friends. I got to drive by mm. Fenway Park while there was still a playoff game going on. Uh, me and Ooh. my partner get back <laughs> to the house, and the game is still going on. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh yeah as a result um i have uh i have a group chat with some of my coworkers at my uh at my actual day-to-day job and uh, i lost a bet you'll probably see what i have to buy on my head within the next week or so oh oh if that's not a reason worry, to I'm gonna, next week <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna enjoy them tremendously however my bank account will not <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't know they made a Bluetooth-enabled clown wig. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, because uh, my team is still in the playoffs. Same. My, te- my, my team is maybe for another 24 hours or so. Game 5 against the Giants is a day away as we record this. I think it's this bullshit sk- that, 200, that 205 win teams are competing each other in the divisional round, but here we are. Baseball, everybody. Uh, no Dodgers. Anyway, all talking about hey. the Turkish Grand Prix and some extended chat regarding the F1 calendar, because we heard a lot more details and nitty-gritty about that in the, since our last F1 episode. We'll be talking about that in the next 45 minutes or so. But here are some places you can find us in the meantime. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. If you're watching us on there, hi, subscribe, hit the bell, all that good stuff. We're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter. And motorsport underscore 101. If I have to follow our personal handles, they are on the screen right now. Um, you can, and if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101. Five bucks gets you early access to all of our audio and video episodes. Sorry, all our audio, I should, I should say. Ten bucks gets to video versions and live recordings via the supporters club of our Discord server. We're on Instagram as well, and motorsport 101. Point that you can find all those details and much more on our website, motorsport101.com. And good so, news, since the, since our last episode, Facebook and Instagram are back. Yes, they they are back for you, for your viewing displeasure. They are they have returned. Yeah, and in all its ugliness. It's just a shame for uh, all of those unfortunate souls that that Bubba Wallace Jr. victory that ain't ever going away. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, That's what we just witnessed. We just witnessed a dab in the year of our Lord, 2021. 
No, we oh, got yeah, to we gotta get in the power stance before we start talking about the Formula One. <laughs> oh, oh, it's beautiful. It's truly a work of art. <laughs> That's how the generosity carries on. We'll, we will talk about the Turkish Grand Prix after this real quick. It's Istanbul, not Constantinople. Technically, it's Intercity Istanbul Park and not Istanbul Park. Arguably, our biggest story of the weekend came before it even started. Lewis Hamilton taking a 10-place grid penalty for an internal combustion engine change as part of his power unit. Hamilton would go quickest on Saturday in a damp qualifying session for the best possible net start of 11th, while Valtteri Bottas was promoted to pole position with Max Verstappen joining him on the front row. Botas kept the early lead and kept Verstappen at bay, and Hamilton made quick progress. Only Yuki Sonoda showed any real resistance as he got into the top eight. Go My Yuki. man, Yuki. Building that confidence. <laughs> the other early mover was Carlos Sainz Jr., who started 19th but made it to 11th in the opening laps after he took a comprehensive power unit change penalty. Oh, this really became the Hamilton show at half distance. He was running fifth. Sergio Perez with depth in line. One of the battles of the season commenced. Lewis tried outbreaking Sergio into the hairpin and failed. Lewis even tried pushing him on the wrong side of the baller going into pit lane entry. But Perez held firm after a good 30 seconds of side-by-side running. The other major Hamilton movement was the dispute between him and his team over pinning for new intermediate compound tires. Mercedes wanted him in with 60 laps to go, but Hamilton was trying for a zero, no stopper. I should point out his content that Charles Leclerc was leading this race and had a chance to win on a no stopper. <laughs> Hamilton was third, trying to go for a no stopper. He, Hamilton eventually comes in for new winters with six to go. And was angry when his tires got stuck in a graining phase. It dropped him down to fifth. But at the front, Botas passed Charles Leclerc, who's struggling for grip with ease. He drives away to take his 10th career victory. Dominant hat trick. He described it as the best of his career. Verstappen shook the championship lead by finishing a very lonely second. And Sergio Perez joined him in third, his first podium since the French Grand Prix of Paul Ricard. Carlos Sainz got his first career driver of the day award. Are you shitting me? After coming back to finishing the eighth. I don't get it either. Okay, folks. Do you all agree with Valtteri Bottas? Was this the best of his 10 career victories at Mercedes? Uh, Best, it's very subjective, but in terms of him being out front, and in control for the entire race distance, pretty much. Like, besides the besides the brief escapade of Ferrari trying to win on a no-stop, Botas was in total and complete control. This was a dick flattening. <laughs> a complete, this was a ultra-beat-him-down premium edition. He was not challenged at any stage of the race, other than the Charles Leclerc no-stop, because remember, if it's wet conditions, you don't have to change compound tires. Um, that didn't last very long, because the, the intermediates were melting in the very slowly drying, but not dry conditions. Yeah, it was not drying enough to make this interesting. What what a dull, wet-weather race that we had. It's amazing to think. Belgium notwithstanding, also, because that that was, of course, the greatest race that we've seen this year. Just trust us on that. Yeah, can you believe how Williams got a podium? Yeah, absolutely. This year? A pace alone. 
on, on pace, pace alone. alone. No, this this was a look. Besides the qualifying, which Bottas was only a tenth off for Lewis Hamilton, it was it was mostly competitive in qualifying. This was a beaten. This was like Bottas never looked like he wasn't going to win this race. It was mm-hmm. superb. It was a flawless drive for a man who. Let's not forget this time last year we raced here, spun five times. Five in, times. Five times, five times, five, five times. But uh, it was it, it. He had a rough time of it this time here last year. So to come back a year later, of course, track in significantly better condition, even when even when damp compared to what it was last year. Could, it was couldn't damp. really tell. <laughs> couldn't really tell because the because of the way the track surface is here, it just doesn't dry out. No. Yeah. This is a weird kind of race where the best kind of intermediate tires to be on are the ones that are almost worn down to the cords, but not quite worn down to the cords. Yeah, because it was so low temperature and because the treads wore off of the tires, what you effectively ended up on were ultra-soft slicks after (laughs) 10, 15 laps of running on them. Yeah. Uh, So, so cars are driving around, always looking for wet patches on the road, but never really, like, it didn't matter where you ran on the road because it was all damp, but not damp enough to need wetter tires. I'm not dry enough for slicks. Yeah, because I think we should mention the gamble taken by Aston Martin and Sebastian Vettel during the race. Oh, first of all, why? First of all, why in the cinnamon toast fuck was he not put on the softest compound available at the time? But even then, like, it was insane to think the track was ready for slicks. King, I was really hoping you weren't going to mention that. I was, I, I, I was like, I thought maybe I could get away with no, not putting it, it, it in there. It is an important part of the race because it proved, <sighs> despite the best compound being, like, the best compound being intermediates that are very worn, you'd assume, oh, you can just move over to slicks. And I thought that at one point in the race, and mm. apparently That's Aston Martin did too. Uh, yeah, pretty much Vettel had no way to put power down because there was there was still while while there wasn't while there wasn't downfall on the track, it wasn't warm enough. There was so much cloud cover. There was almost 100% cloud cover, meaning that there mm. was no sunlight coming through to get away the the surface moisture on the track that, yeah, there's still some water on the track. It's too wet for slicks, but just slightly too dry for intermediates. Again, it's that yeah. wet yeah, socks like feeling. <laughs> it's like, during the race, there, unless... Cars were going offline to go find some water. There was very little spray as well, which we know yeah. is a big problem with these gigantic tires. Yeah, they're, they're almost too good at their jobs. Um, and this was one of those exactly. occasions. And, and uh, yeah, yeah, I had to sit there and I literally, like, I was at work and I literally screamed out, what the fuck, when I saw a yellow marked tire go on the side of Sebastian's <laughs> car. I'm just like, this is not going to end well, Never is it? Never know until you try, folks. And uh, Vettel said, uh, apparently, off the one corner, he knew he'd made a, a horrible mistake. <laughs> I, I bet yeah, he yeah, knew no, it they, on the pit exit. <laughs> he said, he said, uh, he said over the radio, "Yeah, this isn't working." Yeah, 
Which which might be the most like if there were, if we had our own Motorsport One Hundred and One award for the most understated radio message to imply impending doom, it was yeah, I think I made an error here. Um, <laughs> it was it was horrible. He came in a lap later, almost spun it into the pit wall on entry. He did on the, spin it. Yeah, he, 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 he almost he. Oh, what a fucking mess! Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was an unmitigated disaster, and uh, it did not work. And it was a again, as King pointed out, it was a key chapter in the story of the race. It, that was the indication that slicks were not doable here. Even by the time we got to the end, and we'll talk about this with Hamilton's gamble in a minute. That yeah, the sweet spot was very worn intermediate because, as we saw with Hamilton at the end, there was also a graining phase where you couldn't get grip on well, a brand new set of inches. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that with Hamilton's gamble, but you had to be extremely careful managing the tires, not just to not wear them out, but to not push them into a graining phase. Yeah. And who, who nailed it? Valtteri Bottas, winning by the better part of 15 seconds. Um, brilliant drive from him. Only the 35th member of the double-digit win club. And you know what? The way this season's gone, it might be his final Grand Prix win for all we know. And look... If the man retires tomorrow, double-digit wins and a couple of championship runner-ups is nothing to scoff at. It ain't at. all that but bad! No. It's, a, it's a great career. Like, we have put guys on plinths for, for worse careers than what Valtteri Bottas has put together in his limited time at the top, quite frankly. So, double-digit wins is nothing to scoff at at all. Uh, so, congrats to Val. He's actually been very fun since we've basically found out that he's not going to be at Mercedes anymore. He's been trolling people left and right. We all saw the Monza meme. Doesn't he's have to brilliant. be the corporate man anymore. Yeah, he's, he's been brilliant on TikTok. If anyone saw the video of him marking his colleague like Simba, that was uh, that was really funny. So, uh, good for Val, as far as I'm concerned. You know, he's I'm got that personality that everybody thinks Kimmy has. <laughs> yeah, I'm a subject. Kimmy had it a long perfect. ago. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Let's uh, let's talk yeah. about Mercedes. Uh, Christian Horner says that they're getting about twenty cl- clicks per hour uh, down the straightaways. He described it as the difference between turning DRS on and off uh, when talking about these new Mercedes power units. Are they back on the top of the power rankings for cars, or do you think there are some concerns holding them back? Uh, yes, and yes, because Mercedes has they, they have. They have broken the in-case-of-emergency brake glass and hit the button. Mercedes, I think it was in 2017, went at links to talk about how they always run the power units with some level of margin so that they don't have the reliability issues that plagued them in 2016 and 2015 at times. Yeah. Hmm. No longer. Nope. They have no choice. We've thrown how, these how can out you, uh them. How can you match downforce downforce deficiency when you're not going to be upgrading your car very much, although they did have a new front wing to test in practice? Hmm. Well, crank the engine to the point where it's going to split in half. Hope that it stays together in both the biggest wings you can. If we mats out these credit cards, it's fine. We could just declare bankruptcy later. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) That's brilliant. That's magnificent. Who are you, Mastercard Lola? <laughs> oh dear. Um, yeah, I but mean, uh, that that is their solution to the car deficiency: is crank the engines to the point where they are failing. 
Mercedes has had power unit problems, major power unit problems in the last three or four races, but they do, they no longer have a choice. Yeah. The choice is lose and keep the car reliable or turn the car past its limits and hope. Yeah, I remember it was King that talked about this earlier this year and, you know, the risk and reward of gambling on what your strengths are and, you know, how much reliability do you gamble for outright pace? And I think he also, I remember you mentioning about how you don't maybe want to gamble the title that's right in front of you in terms of next year's development, because we all took Toto at his word back in Austria that this car was done, but it clearly is not done. You we know, with the sort of destiny front wing, they're, yeah, they're cranking the, the power up because we've realized that this is it. Like, this is the strongest threat that this Mercedes has faced in this hybrid era, without any shadow of a doubt. And right now, they're winning the fight. They've got a 36-point lead in the Constructors' Championship. They have almost the race in hand, but they're willing to gamble the reliability on this, and I'm not sure that's going to work a out. Like, it's, uh, you know... Well, well and, and the thing about this approach is that it's all well and good. You want to brute force... You want to brute force pace into your car. That's the way. And I love how Sky, um, both Jensen Button and uh, who was otherwise phenomenal on con- commentary, and Crofty just kept putting their blindfolds on every time Hamilton went down the back straight, talking about how much downforce he was carrying and how slow he was in a straight line as oh, he God. would drag race someone. He, he once blew a past for, Pierre Gasly. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Carrying <laughs> twice the wing. They're right. 15 to 20 k- clicks faster than every other car before the kink in the back straight, and then the drag kicks in. Yeah. He got a uh, word was, when... Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Dre. No, I was going to say, I think low-key, Mercs have probably been the stronger team since the summer break. And I think a lot of people have not spoken about it, because I think there are a lot of Hamilton fans out there, and what I'm saying is going to be controversial. I think there's a lot of Hamilton fans out there that like having the shoe on the other foot. That he uh, doesn't. Please, dis- re- please direct your complaints to at Ryan Eric King. <laughs> leave, leave King out. I will die and take the bullet on King's behalf. But no, okay, I okay. genuinely. I, right. I genuinely Buckley nine one seven. Yeah, I'll take the, I'll take the smoke. No, I, I genuinely think a lot of Hamilton's fans like the fact that he is no longer in this ridiculously dominant car because if Hamilton comes through and wins the Drivers' Championship this year, which he's still only six points outside of with a handful of rounds to go, it it makes him look that much better because he didn't yeah. have this ridiculously dominant yeah, hybrid. Because all he's, he's missing is a Michael Schumacher 1995 season on his yeah. GOAT resume. Count- it's the last argument left. Counterpoint, he got to this point by blowing Max up in Silverstone. Yeah. It helps. And like yeah. while Mercedes has the advantage like while Mercedes have the advantage now, per se, they really haven't had the ability to use that to build a championship advantage. Since the summer break, we had Belgium, which was just qualifying. We had yeah. Monza. That's just that's just the thing though. Mercedes has had Two or three races where they should have slaughtered the field one, two walkovers. Mm. And they can't pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. We had, we had Belgium, Monza, Russia, and 
well, yeah, and now, and now Turkey. They've gotten two of the last four wins, which is good, but it could have been more. Say yeah. we had the full race in Belgium, they could have won that as well. Monza, they probably weren't going to win that one, but no. But going in, that's the thing. Going into that weekend, they were dominant. Yeah, they and had a throughout the weekend. It just fell apart. They had a better yeah. package than everyone, and they mm. couldn't do anything with it. Well, it was mainly, I'd say, it was sprint quality. Yeah, it was sprint quality. It, it, it <laughs> they should have a way bigger lead than they do. <laughs> yeah, and that's and even with the power unit penalties, the way they've played out, they've effectively saw, they, they've equaled each other out, despite Verstappen starting ten places or nine places further back in the grid. Yeah, the gap because is to it, what it was. Yeah, there's the, the, maybe you mentioned it on, on during our Sochi show. Like the worst thing that could have happened in Sochi was it was that it started raining. Yes, it gave Hamilton a chance to win the race that he might not have won in the dry, but it also bumped Verstappen up to second. Yeah. So that was the best possible result, really. That Red Bull probably beyond the best possible result Red Bull could have asked for to finish second. Yeah, they would have they would have bit your arm red. off for second around there anyway. The point oh, I was going to yeah. make a couple of minutes ago though is that. You can brute force in that sense, bolt on the biggest wings you can and turn the engine up. There are two tracks we will be going to where that isn't going to work because you need to run maximum wings anyway. Mm. In Mexico, the air pressure nullifies that. In Brazil, because Brazil's geography is completely fucking insane, Mm -hmm. the altitude at that track is massive. And we have seen Red Bull's aero platform and Honda's engine Always like high altitude. It has been yeah. a long-term trend. Mexico is and about as strong a Red Bull bank around as it comes on this calendar. <sighs> like the, the Mercedes is going to be apocalyptic down the front straight. The rest of the track? I don't know. Um, get your prayers in for the Aston Martins yeah. in that sense. Because <laughs> they're, in the sa- they're in the same boat. I, I'd say the closing trio of races... When we go to Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE, Mercedes have to win all three of those races. Yeah. To make absolutely sure of it, you reckon? Yeah. yeah. We're, we're back and to... And this is also considering the fact that Mercedes are burning through power units. Yeah. They just lost one in Hamilton's car. They lost two in Valtteri's. There's a couple others that have gone through the field. They are literally destroying the crankcases in their engines, Shoo! pushing them so far. Ooh. They've got to be they've got to be ballparking eleven hundred horsepower now because they have no choice. Yeah, yeah, they got no choice. These engines are running hot, so hot you can smoke brisket on them before you put ranch on it. Oh, oh. <laughs> what is that? Anyway, against humanity. <laughs> I'm taking the reins. Because I can't, I can't stand for what was just said. Yeah, no, I can't either. That sucks. <laughs> so, uh, supporter of the show, Sasha, um, I raise this point to you. Do we agree with Hamilton's Hamilton wanting to go to the end on the race on one on one set of tires? Here we go again, folks. Another decision late in a race where somebody was on the dis- was on the bleeding edge of deciding whether or not they wanted to stay out or come in late in the race, and Lewis Hamilton is involved. <sighs> <laughs> oh. Parallels. You Lewis, gotta love him. 
Lewis should have pitted for new intermediates when they asked him to come in. It, yeah. Yeah. While in the moment, it didn't seem like a good idea, considering how well everyone was going on their inners at the time. Hmm. Long term, thinking about the rest of the race distance, Mercedes were right. You look back at this race and you're thinking, these tires could come close to doing a full distance, but as you saw with Esteban Ocon, who, by the way, was the only driver to pull this off, but he was struggling at the end, and he almost coughed up that last point to Antonio Giovinazzi by seven-tenths of a second at the end. And there was nothing yeah, left. I, I, yeah, I was going to say, like, the woke and bespoke meme would come into play here. Woke! Esteban Ocon finished 10th on the nose on a no-stopper. Bespoke, and credit to Chris Medlin for pointing this out, he lost 50 seconds to Carlos Sainz in the last 14 laps of that race. <laughs> 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 50, yeah, 5-0. Um, <clears throat> Hungry ground. Yeah, Lewis, Lewis demanding to stay out and running as long as he did sealed them into a no-win situation because he either runs to the end and his tires were already down to the canvas. They were on the verge of failure no matter how soft he was going to tread on them hmm. uh, for those remaining, what was it, seven laps? Yeah, six, yeah. Um, his, his right front was literally down to the cords. Caucus. Where was, where was the firmness from the pit wall that, we, that they showed in Russia where they overrid his decision? The firmness, I think, is when they saw a camera shot of his tire and realized he's... The, the damage limitation that's going to be reduced by pitting is going to be... is going to very easily counter crashing and losing 18 points to Verstappen. Uh, when he pitted... The track had dried just enough that, and we saw this with Charles Leclerc, Lewis, in a rage, goes out, starts hammering the tires. Hashtag hammer time. And then Charles Leclerc showed that if you push too hard, too quickly on a fresh set of enters on that track surface, the tires green. Charles didn't do it quite as badly because he backed off. Ended up losing a position out of it. Lewis was just hell for leather on the tires for three laps and immediately went into a graining phase from which he never recovered. He was one of the slowest mm. cars in the top ten. Um, he could just couldn't put the power down in those conditions on those tires. If, if, if he wasn't careful, he was going to lose fifth place to Pierre Gasly and Lando Norris, who were right behind him when he came out of the pit exit. Yeah, forget um, trying to catch another Perez day, for third. He gets bossed. Forget trying to crash Perez and Leclerc for fur. You almost got passed by Pierre Gasly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, speaking of the uh, speaking of Perez, oh, that Welcome wheel to wheel battle. With Welcome Hamilton. back, Checo. Welcome back. I'm so glad to have you back, buddy. You know, it wasn't all great for Red Bull. You know, this weekend didn't win the race. We don't. I mean, we don't even have time to talk about the whole Liam Lawson thing at DTM. But oh. what a what a what a day for Checo. My man is back. They got the fresh white livery because oh, the they were white supposed. Bulls to... Look so good! Oh, they, they look, look so nice. good. They could have put a little more effort into it, but those look nice. Those look clean. Those look fresh. I just not as fresh, say is... not as fresh as the Seattle Kraken road jerseys, but still pretty fresh. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say is uh, Lewis Hamilton runs a Red Bull out of room. Red Bull driver, how many times do we need to teach you this lesson, old man? <laughs> They will Again. never back out. They will detour into the pit lane to stay on inside. 
And Perez held his nerve because after that, Hamilton's first set of inters started to uh, tail off. Yeah, I think that and the Yuki Sonoda battle were probably like the two main highlights of fun racing out of what well, was otherwise a. Uh, well, I will say, Carlos Sainz did his dandest to give us an exciting afternoon. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was on fire through the midfield yeah. up into the points. Man, why does this dude have to be the way he is off the track? Because on the track, he is money. He's a superb racing driver. It's always been said on in this house, we admire Carlos Sainz dot 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 racing ability. Um, Two times it, over the year. It's yeah, he was superb. I, I, again, I was in shock when I watched that race and found that. Wait, that's his first ever driver of the day award. I'm like, wow, okay. Um, that was a shock to me, but yeah. Well, problem is usually eight. when he has, usually when he has some amazing performance, it gets overshadowed by uh, checks notes, uh, Alpha Tauri winning in Monza or something to that effect. Yeah, it doesn't help, does it? Um, no, it's like but, uh, six, he was six. He, he was wonderful. So yeah. good. We, we, we're going to get 115 videos on YouTube now calling Carlos Sainz underrated because that's, that's the new trend. You're going to wear out a good bit here, Internet. But uh, here we are. No, I mean, I, I said it before. Hashtag I think, shoot your shot. Like, I said it during the Sochi episode, and I'll say it again here. Like, it, there will always be a disconnect between driver and team. And let's be honest, Hamilton has bailed them out of so many pinches before when Merck's strategy have goofed up. I can almost understand why they let Hamilton override this one for so long. Almost. It just um, it, it feels like Lewis was trying for a moonshot to try and maybe, maybe run Charles down for third. Yeah. And he was running third by that point because Charles ended up hitting. But they, he needed to think longer term. And he was on the wrong side of the decision that, at the same time, they got right last week. So, swings yeah. and roundabouts. Yeah, it, it, sometimes Texas A&M does beat Bama. <laughs> <laughs> Friend of our show, uh, Raimu, was present during that, and he has no voice Ooh. anymore. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I could... I cannot begin to imagine the crowds at that game. <laughs> My God. Um, but uh, for carrying on a little bit on that, I mean, where do you sit on the side of the fence between teams and drivers on and these questionable strategic calls? Because like you said, we've now had back-to-back races where very marginal calls had the drivers say the final word and it ended up not working. And again, you can make the case for Sebastian Vettel as well. He went, he went for it. Yep. He, we heard it on the radio. He said, "Let's go for it." Well, like, fuck it, I'm going deep. Oh <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we threw it in the quick coverage. <laughs> oh my god. Well, ultimately, ultimately, it's a split decision because you've got all the people back in the pit lane who have the information about what's going on, yeah, around the track and on the track. But I can tell you right now. I can tell you right now as a sim racer, what I feel through the steering wheel is not was not what's in the pit lane, in the data. Sometimes you make a marginal decision, I one or the other, team or driver, and it just doesn't work out. Yeah, and like at the end of the day, the team can't make the car pit. So even mm-hmm. in some circumstances where the driver disagrees and they're 
100% going to be wrong. There's nothing the team can do except maybe punish the driver after the fact. And all, all you can do is give the driver the information that you can and then see if they agree with it. Yeah. And especially because, again, there are hundreds of, of guys, gals, and non-binary pals back in the shop who have way more information than you, and they are thinking about the big picture, from not just the moment and what you feel through the wheel, but from where you are now to the checkered flag and some things that you probably won't be able to know through just the wheel. And for to be the, the head, to, to be the head of shop, to be the race engineer who needs to convey the importance of the information to the driver. It's, it's a place I wouldn't want to be in. Mm. We can go into every, every racing series run since racing engineers and pit crews were a thing and pick out thousands of examples where either a team has made a decision where the driver hasn't agreed and vice versa and they have gone right and they have gone horribly horribly wrong it just comes with the territory because that's that's an aspect of motorsport that is inescapable yeah It, it is a constant battle not only between the guys on the track the guys on the pit wall, there will all, like, math will never be able to fully compensate man holding steering wheel driving 1,000 brake horsepower death trap. Uh, exactly. <laughs> you know, and there, there, will, there will always be that point of no return. And, yeah, it's 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 easy for you know what it is. We're spoiled. We sit yeah. here. Yeah, we you know we 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 always think we know best. Let's be honest. We yeah, do. We're, we're, we're out here convert. Monday Monday morning quarterbacking this. Yeah, yeah. We always think we know best. Yeah. <laughs> Counterpoint: Sebastian Vettel last year at Ferrari almost always knew best <laughs> in the driver's seat. <laughs> and that, that, that's the that's the that's the beauty of it. We. We we roasted Lando Norris for Sochi. We I wouldn't say roasted Lewis Hamilton over that one at Mercedes because he's Lewis Hamilton. You're not criticizing him on the internet for very long without getting piled on. Um, and Sebastian Vettel made an entire running gag about overriding his team orders in his last year at Ferrari. So and we loved him for it. So it's 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 after hating him for it in 2013. Oh, it's 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 a it's a fascinating complex that is never a straightforward answer, and that's kind of what makes it so fascinating. And so, yeah, uh, t- ultimately, that's what it is: is it's not binary. There is a thousand ways that every decision on racetrack can go right yeah. or very very wrong. Strategic yeah. binary, like a lot of other binaries, totally fucking overrated. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. I mean. If you want to watch this Turkish Grand Prix, probably just better off watching the YouTube version on this one. This was not a classic. Um, go out of your way to watch the Perez Hamilton fight. That was certainly worth watching um, oh. on a short somewhere. It's, it's probably somewhere on the internet by now. You know the way the algorithms work these days. But this was a pretty middle of the road um, uh, Turkish Grand Prix in general. But hey. We've been so spoilt this season when it comes to F1. I don't care. We're allowed a mediocre we, we were one every a once in a while. We would do. We would do. We just had a brilliant Sochi. We, we were owed this. <laughs> 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 like, 
We were, like, old, we were old this dry turkey, which is ironic because this was pretty wet. But in terms of, like, taste, this was dry turkey. This was, like, unseasoned turkey. Oh, I've been there. No, 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 no. Not not great. Um, it's, it's not ideal. So, before we get out of here, we've also had a bit of other major news regarding Formula One's future calendar. Uh, King, take it away, my man. Yes, there is a large amount of discussion on the future of the calendar, as uh, Stefano Domenicali, the CEO of Formula One Management, confirmed that next year's calendar will be the longest in Formula One's history at 23 rounds. Uh, despite not all the dates being formalized yet, yes, we do know when the Miami Grand Prix is. You can buy tickets to a number of races, but we don't know the full picture. And this has split the room in, in well, split the paddock, if you will, mm. and fans online, obviously, with a lot of people talking about burnout from staff at the teams. And the team principals have had a lot to say about the situation. Uh, specifically, Red Bull's Christian Horner, who was quoted as saying, yeah, it's a grueling calendar, like in any, like in any sport, and with my wife, he didn't actually say that. The thirst and demand for Formula One is, <laughs> is what it is. And it's always, <laughs> it's always trying to, to measure that balance. Uh, I'm sure we could have 35 races if the promoter got his way. So it's finding that balance between not needing to have effectively two crews that you can do it manage manageably with one crew and do and do to do an entire season. It's grueling. It's demanding. And particularly through these COVID times with the calendar changing and triple headers coming in. And you look at the logistics of part of the tour later, later on with Brazil, Mexico, and then the Middle East. Uh, so Christian Horner has been fairly balanced and diplomatic with his answer. Someone, change. someone who <laughs> certainly didn't is yeah. his. This uh, is a surprise to me that, uh, mm-hmm. that this dude would seem measured compared to Chris. It would seem unhinged compared to Christian Horner. Yeah, c- compared to his colleague at AlphaTauri, Franz Tost, who was quoted as saying, we know we have 23 races. It's fantastic. Good job from Formula One. I'm looking forward to it. Regarding the people at the track, first of all, we are a race team, and they should all be happy we have as many races as possible. Press, marketing, all the people at the racetrack have three days off after the race weekend. The engineers, the engineers is a little more difficult, but if I remember back in former times, they had to go after a race weekend the test, which means they also had to work there. We all should be happy to be in a position to be in Formula One and to have the 23 races. If someone doesn't like it, he should go. Oh, uh, oh boy. Uh, lot to dissect there. There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> so, like, the first question I pose to you is that, you know, is the sport right to be pushing on? Because we talked about this quote before when Chase Carey was CEO of the management about having 25 Super Bowls. 
Is the sport right to be pushing for 25 GPs? No, but we're getting it anyway. I agree. <laughs> yeah, it's... Like, I think Christian Horner, to me, is getting at what the real problem is. The fact that they're trying to do it with as spending as little money as possible. To try to mm. do as many races as possible with only a single crew. This... This wouldn't be a problem if we were talking about there being two race teams and each team's cycling back and forth through each of these rounds. And that, and I, I remember Martin Whitmarsh brought this up a decade ago when he was in charge at McLaren around, I think it was 2012, and that was, I think that was the first 20 race season. Excuse me, I believe that is yes. now Aston Martin Whitmarsh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> Aston Martin Whitmarsh. Very good, very, very good. good. Yeah, yeah. It, it was Martin Whitmarsh that first pointed us out, and that was the year in 2012 we had the first 20 race season in Formula 1, and he said, look, guys, if this gets any bigger, we're going to have to have two crews. And uh, it never quite got to that point where they had to hire a second crew yet, but this has been brought up in the past a little bit. I think now... In the last five years, we talk a lot more about mental health on the internet than we did for the previous 500 years combined. And now we are starting to see the, like, more people are on social media, more people that are within the teams are on social media. There's more of a personal perspective on this. And we are now mentioning the B word a bit more, and that's burnout. And, you know, sometimes on this, me personally, like, it feels sometimes that it can be a bit much. And 23 races is a lot. We've had a bunch of triple headers this year. We've got another one that's now in place because Qatar's been confirmed. And the third leg on that triple header is an 11,000 kilometer round trip. And uh, that is not ideal. Yeah. But, um, well, and that, that's the key thing that plays in here. You can have other racing series that have this many races. We have NASCAR that has 36. But NASCAR, the N stands for national. It is a national <laughs> series. You stay in one country. You yeah. are bouncing between continents constantly in Formula One. And these people just don't have much time to spend at home anymore yeah, throughout the and, whole year. And, like, I wouldn't even say anymore is a qualifier here because, you, like, a lot of former team staff are active on social media, say, like, I think using, like, Mark Priestley as an example, a former mm. McLaren employee, and he talked about, like, he talked about his time on the on the race team and the test team, and sort of the general feeling that it's something, once you get to a certain age, you want to stop doing because it, you can't have a family. You can't settle down and have, like, a normal life as a member as a race or a test team, and that was back when it was a 17-race calendar. Yeah. Well, let's not forget that a couple of years ago, we watched, and, and the drivers have to deal with it with their commitments, Valtteri Bottas got a divorce a couple of years ago, because he was yeah. never around. Uh, I rather not, I rather not say... Leave it, leave it, <laughs> leave it. We're, 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 we're it, can be a, it can be a factor without being the main factor. <laughs> yeah, true. 
No, to, to follow on from what Cam's saying, I do know people that have worked within F1 that have had to postpone weddings, for example, and have had to basically alter their livelihoods around being in the sport, and that can be difficult logistically. Um, even more so now during COVID, where most of this country was locked down for a good year and a half as well. So um, it, it's been particularly hard. The triple header essentially didn't exist until about three years ago. Um, you know, so it's it's accelerated even further in the last few years where 2021 rounds was still about as far as we went till about three or four years ago. We had a 22 race calendar or was going to have one a couple of years ago and then COVID happened and then now we're at 23 and I don't see any reason why this is going to trend down anytime no. soon. This, it's the same this- thing with sprint qualifying. Because they just confirmed we're going to have more sprint qualifying. The fans sure say they hate it, but the television figures and the amount of revenue that are coming in say otherwise. Now, because people forget that you not only, you know, vote with your wallet, you vote with your time. And when you say you don't like something, yet you keep watching it, giving, you know, ad revenue to these... to these TV companies who buy the rights, you're telling them, I want more of this, despite you saying you don't. Yeah, the hate-watching <laughs> you're doing is counterproductive. Can I marry you, King? I so true. I've been preaching this on Twitter for years. That in the there's words, not enough people... <laughs> in, in the words of Pete Weber, love me or hate me, you watched. <laughs> so, that, that, that's the point. There's not enough... The, this is the ultimate crunch point I was going to get to, is that I've, I've used this comparison in written pieces before. It reminds me a lot of what the UFC was in the early 2000s, early 2010s, I should say, when they had Brock Lesnar and Cain Velasquez and Anderson Silva, this, the, the previous generation of elite-level stars, and the UFC exploded in putting on more and more pay-per-view events, thinking that was just going to grow the brand forever. It didn't work because people started picking and choosing more often as to what they wanted to watch, and it ended up just becoming stagnant. And that's what I fear F1 could become if they keep growing and growing. The problem is, is that on our end, there's not enough people that are not prepared to watch. Yep. Like, there are people that will, like, again, all the talk about sprint qualifying sucks and it's terrible. People flocked to Monza in droves to watch sprint qualifying. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're going to do it again in Sao Paulo. Yeah, they're going to do it again in Sao Paulo. Every time you change the channel to watch it or you step through the turnstiles that Saturday, you pretty much give them another reason to keep going. You hated the well, fact I mean, that Junior Dos Santos knocked out Cain Velasquez in 64 <laughs> seconds, but you watched. Yeah, and ultimately, it, people become invested. It, it becomes a vicious cycle. It has an effect. We mentioned it earlier. Sprint qualifying in Monza undid what should have been a Mercedes steamrolling in Italy. Mm-hmm. It has an effect on the weekend after it. So people yeah. are going to be invested no matter if they hate it or not. And not to mention, the sport lost a lot of money in this pandemic. Yeah. The, and, and an easy way of recouping some of that lost money is by putting on more races. Because there are more than enough places out there that would love to have a Formula One Grand Prix in their town, which we'll get to a little at the end of the show regarding a certain other Middle Eastern country that will be joining the calendar later on in the year. But, like, say what you will about 
the mental health side, which is a completely valid point. Yeah. Is that, yes, this is a lot. And, you know, these guys are going to be on the road essentially for nine months a year, more if you include testing, more if you include other engagements. That can suck. And I can completely understand. Here's the thing. Like, this is, like, not to deflect or anything, but this is not a mental health issue. This is just a societal issue. Yeah. Where... You could talk about, you know, I think we joked about it in the pre-show about Henry Ford introducing the 40-hour work week and not, you know, a lot of the world not pushing past that since that point. Mm. When we're, when we're in a, in a society talking about countries instituting, uh, moving away from five-day work weeks to four-day work weeks, you have these people literally what is in effect a seven day work week? You do a triple header. You're not coming back home. You're going on to the next track. Let's say in, in most roles in Formula One, there are no days off. Yeah, if you're on a race team, like if you might not be working, but if you're traveling, you're effectively on company time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's uh, a Andreas. Lot. Go ahead, Dre. No, no, come. You first, man. Yeah, yeah. Andreas Seidel talked about it when he was running uh, the Porsche LMP program a few years ago, which was a much less aggressive calendar. Um, WEC races are very spread out. He's not even one of the people who's strictly speaking on the ground working in the, the pit garage. He said, it is a full-time job. There are no days off. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, a lot of 100-hour weeks, a lot more of what we're now seeing where the triple header is becoming normalized and probably will be again, especially if the, if the rumors are true. They are trying to end next year's season around middle of November. So you're giving ourselves less weeks to play with as well in terms of, you know, how do you fit 23 rounds into this specific timing window? It's going to be a lot. It's going to be... Like, I think it's going to hit a breaking point at some point in the future, and just like the summer break, it's going to take something to happen, and for the FIA to step in and say, you can't do this anymore. Right. The scary thing is to me, King, is that what would that that thing be? Like, a team going on strike, maybe? I mean, I I don't know. I mean, mean, we've seen it before with with race-related things. As far as things like the 2005 indie walkout, but that was an on-track issue. This is something quite different. No, yeah. We and like if we start seeing this in the factories, and we would know pretty immediately if it did happen. We don't know what that would look like because I don't think we've seen that before. No, not for not for the sport at large, certainly. Right. And yeah, we'd have to. A lot of gears would have to come out of that machine for it to stop spinning. Let's put it to you that way. So I'm not sure what the next move is on that front. But the point is, is that this is going to keep growing, and there's not enough people out there, in my opinion, that are prepared to stop watching for for, for a major change to happen. Yeah, think but, about this. Think about how many uh, UK soccer fans out here saying that the Carabao Cup doesn't mean shit, but they'll still watch it. <laughs> They'll still watch whatever exactly. sort of football competitions we throw out. More football, more of it, more racing, more, 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 more. Yeah. Ultimate, ultimately, when uh, when someone is anna- when a company is announcing a product and you're watching it, saying in the forums how terrible it is, you're still watching that keynote. Yep, indeed. Um, so following on from that, I mean, again, 
we've already kind of touched on our own personal opinions on the matter. I mean, we have to talk about a little bit of news as well, because uh, since our last F1 episode, it was officially announced that uh, we have the, 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 the TBA has been removed from the 2021 calendar. Sadly, it was a good run, but uh, TBA is gone. We're going to the Losail International Circuit in Qatar for uh, for round twenty for round twenty of the Formula One Championship in the middle, in the middle of November. The Grand Marshal Lionel Messi. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you get the connection. Oh, we get we're going to for the, to Qatar for a Grand Prix, gentlemen. What do you make of this one? This is the final of the triple header rounds at All the right. end of the. Thing. I don't think we have the time to really take a deep dive into the uh, the troubling socio-political implications of this event and all of its complexities, but I can tell you what I think it about sucks. this as a track. I can tell you what I think about it as a track, though. It is great for motorcycle racing. If you've never watched MotoGP and Cutter, it's a fantastic time. I don't know, and I may have said that if Bahrain was to just disappear, the Cutter might be a good replacement. The more I think about it, I just think... Ah, maybe you know it'll work, or maybe is? it'll suck, but it's only going to be for one year. Yeah, you know what this track is? What's it that? is one really, really long straight, and then a bunch of roaring, dirty air corners. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what it is. And yeah, just to clarify what RJ said, yes, Qatar signed a one plus ten year deal. So <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. So, yeah. One. Pl- Imagine seeing that in the NBA or the NFL or some shit. It's, it's, it's a ten-year, it's, it's a ten-year team option, totally yeah. normal. So, so it isn't an option, but there is a break year, so we won't be seeing Qatar at Wasale again, and we won't be seeing Qatar on the calendar next year. Uh, we won't be seeing them next year because obviously. Uh, scheduling constraints, and they also feel like with them hosting the FIFA World Cup in their very small country, it would be impractical to have a Formula One Grand Prix at the same time. Which, from an F1 standpoint, I would have been like, no, I want an F1 Grand Prix in the same country while a World Cup's happening. Double that revenue. But uh, they're taking the year off next year, and they're coming back to start a 10-year deal at what is believed to be going to be a new venue, a purpose-built street circuit in Doha. That, oh. Nothing is more Nothing is more of, like, a fucking uh, contradiction than a purpose-built street circuit. <laughs> right. That's just right. a road course with the flavor, the essence, the aroma of a street circuit. Hey, hey, I love my favorite purpose-built street circuit, they're Nürburgring Nordschleife. Of course. <laughs> you take <laughs> that back. <laughs> I'm not, it, it's, it's, we're, it's, we're, you know what we're going to do? You know what they're going to do just to spite you, King, now that you've said that? We're going to take Hanoi Circuit and push it somewhere else. We're going to push it to America. I, no, uh, I don't want that on American soil. Yeah, yeah get ready. I, get ready for Jetta Street Circuit East. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I can't disagree with anything King has said. I think it's going to be dirty air city. It's going to be a lot of medium to high speed corners in F1 cars because in MotoGP, because they've only got 
attempt for the contact patch, and they're a much slower when it comes to cornering speed. There's a lot more places you could break and overtake people. In Formula 1, you haven't got that luxury. Every corner's going to be like 100 miles an hour. You're not passing anybody through half this circuit. Dude, this gonna is going to be one. great for time trial, and it's going to suck during the race. I was going to say, this I is going to be like... This is gonna, it's going to be like the, the hybrid systems might have trouble regening because there's not going to be many places to break. <laughs> yeah, not, not heavy braking anyway. Maybe the final corner, but that's about it. Like, there's not an awful lot to play with here. Um, it's going to be messy. Uh, but and, and nothing makes me cr- cringe and eye roll more than an addition of another purpose-built street circuit. We have enough of these on the calendar as it is, and we're adding another one. I'm just like, oh, for God's sake. Anyone want to urbex the old Valencia track? That's going to take some work. (laughs) No, no, no. Instead, the FIA is just going to dust off the Herman Tilka Terminator, pop a CPU back, and it'll draw another unexpiring track. Oh, Oh, fun times. So, yeah, Qatar, that'll be on the calendar in November for round 20. Again, I, I pray for the teams on that one, because that's the final round in a 12,000-kilometer round-trip triple-header. No thanks. Um, you, you, better, not- you better upgrade to first class. You better get the comfiest seats you can get on that flight. <laughs> with, with these cost caps? Good luck. <laughs> um, you're flying economy plus yeah, at no. a push. <laughs> um, have fun with that. Now, um, as you may have noticed, um, for next week, none of the series you regularly cover are actually racing this weekend. No. Uh, MotoGP is back next week um, at Misano, Misano 2, the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix, um, with Fabio Quartararo. It's actually, sorry, it's actually not, it's actually Portimao um, next week, I should say. Um, first, uh, first championship point for Fabio Quartararo, a win or any result better than Bagnaia guarantees him his first world championship and Formula One will be back at the Circuit of the Americas, bumps and all. So uh, it'll be a nice doubleheader. But next week, we're going to sit down and properly review the 2021 IndyCar season because that was a really fun season. We're going to break it all down here and that'll be on next week's show to fill the void. So you can look forward to that. No weeks off on Motorsport 101. Not until Christmas, anyway. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that'll be next time round. But basically, you can find us one more time real quick. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport101. We're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport101. We're on Twitter. Usernames are on the screen. If not, at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at CBuckley917, and at Ryan Eric King. We're on Instagram at Motorsport101Pod. Um, and we're also on our website, motorsport101.com, and if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101, five bucks for all our audio episodes, ten for the video versions, and a supporters club on our Discord server, which gives you access to some live recordings of our shows as well. Shout out to Jason, Vic, and Sasha, all the guys on Discord that were watching along as well. Uh, until next time, we'll be talking IndyCar season review. I've been Dre Harrison, they've been RJ O'Connell, Cam Buckley and Ryan Eric King, and until next time, sign Ariel. Later, y'all. Bye. Good night and goodbye from the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking clouds.